Welcome back. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can follow me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. And I'm joined, as always, by Xavier Trish. You can follow him on Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And at CFB Winning Edge for Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Nick, what's going on? You surviving out there? Yeah, doing okay. I uh, just uh, unplugged my computer on accident so we're getting started a little late <laughs> I had, to, had to reboot uh got got a little excited in the pre-show chatter i guess and kicked the uh power strip uh so that's know, what happens that's, when you're on that ball exactly <laughs> exactly so uh but but overall you know nothing nothing too much uh to complain about how about you guys uh xavier i know that you're doing great because you have minimal classes and yep. uh, don't have to work. So, I mean, this is uh, coasting for you right now, right? Yeah, the most stress I've had to deal with is trying to calm down Falcons Twitter after the uh, so-so uniforms came out today uh, that we're going to that we're gonna have to deal with for the next probably six to ten years. So, yeah, that, that, that's been my day. <laughs> I saw someone compare them to the equivalent of a seven and nine season. Oh my! I've I've had the the Carolina Panthers trolled the Falcons. That I mean, mean we we can say what we want about mean tweets and stuff. The Panthers win Twitter for the day. With that <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they they need to win Twitter. They won't be winning many games this year. So maybe <laughs> they can have that one. My buddy texted me because I sent him that tweet. And he said, I wonder who finishes fourth in that division. I'm like, well, it's the Panthers. Come on. You know, <laughs> you're replacing their head coach, their uh, quarterback, and they lost their defensive captain in Luke Keekley. So, you know, yeah. uh, I like the Panthers. They still got a good squad. And, you know, I, I shudder to think of the things that Nick is thinking of me now for doubting Matt Rule. But hey, you know, I, I, I have to I have to be honest with you guys and, and, and everybody out there, I guess, uh, since the NFL opened up. NFL Game Pass. I've been spending a little bit more time uh, looking at. Uh, did you guys know there are professionals that play football? Yeah, that's actually the uh, next so level after this. <laughs> so, so yeah, I've been, I've been spending a little more time. I haven't, I haven't dug too much into rewatching games quite yet. I'm trying to finish up a big, a big project. But when I, uh, I've got an exercise bike, and so when I'm, I'm uh, exercising in the morning, I'll, I'll throw on. Lately, it's been. Uh, hard Knocks. I'm I'm a sucker for those. Yeah, the show is Hard Knocks and All or Nothing and uh, those type of things. So once once I get through those and once I get this big uh, returning production project done that we're we'll be talking a little bit about later, uh, I I do plan to dig in uh, and watch a little bit more NFL football on on replay. So well, if you want to watch the Steelers get five turnovers and still lose to the Niners, flip that game on. So that one was one that I did not enjoy that much. But yeah, Deontay Johnson scored a long touchdown, so that was fun. But yeah, you can always watch the Falcons blow a twenty-eight to three lead. You know, if you really get bored, you know, <laughs> but at least game, their I uniforms think. were better then. That's true. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it'll be kind of like so. I don't. I I do watch TV, but I usually watch it years later than everybody else. So it, it'll be kind of like uh, picking up, you know, Breaking Bad. <laughs> or, or the wire or something yeah you know, like what's this game of thrones all about yeah it, it, it's going to kind of be like i haven't actually watched any game of thrones maybe that maybe that's yeah, the don't next bother one. but uh <laughs> but it'll be kind of like that watching uh the nfl i could i could go back and rewatch the whole season i know how it ends just because you know 
I, I did catch a little bit of the Super Bowl, but but the rest will be, you know, pretty new to me. So it's, you know, something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't watched TV shows, I mean, watching TV is one of my passions uh, b- behind watching sports and sitting, of course. But um, I, I, I do love I'm watching The Expanse right now. I've read the books or, you know, audio book, listen to the books. Uh, but The Expanse is pretty damn solid. If you're looking for something that's on Prime. But uh, today up on the show, we are going to be talking a little bit of news and notes. There's not much going on right now, of course. Um, but then Nick is going to tell us about uh, returning, uh, returning production, a deep dive uh, perhaps on the Power 5 and the offense there so far. And then the Mac is the big part of what we're doing today. So just diving right in to the news. There's not a lot. I'm going to list it off here and then... Um, you you know, uh, go to Nick and then go to Xavier. But we have a little bit of transfer news. Two Mississippi State players transferred shortly after an offensive tweet from Mike Leach. It was defensive lineman Fabian Lovett, who was a starter as a true freshman last year and is already highly sought after an offensive lineman Cameron Jones, who did not see action as a true freshman last year. But, um, well, let's just start there, Nick. I, I don't think I saw this um, offensive tweet from Mike Leach. What was he... What was he saying now? I'm pretty sure I have him blocked on everything. So, <laughs> so, so Mike Leach uh, is—he's a guy that likes memes and funny things. And he's, and he's, he's basically your, you know, your your old potentially racist uncle who you know your <laughs> Facebook friends with. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he he put out a, a thing that was intended to be funny. It was it was an old woman. Uh, you know, it's, it's to do with quarantine, social distancing, all those sort of things. There's an old woman sitting there uh, knitting, and it's to, the the intention was to be, uh, you know, she's she's knitting this because she's getting ready to kill her husband, but it so happened to be a noose, which of course ah. is is just you know uh, obviously a, a, a horrific thing. And, yeah, what and, does he think he's Jim Norton? Come on. And so you know, obviously. Uh, in bad taste and and uh, not not to be completely unexpected for Mike Leach. I mean, he, he has the potential. Everybody sort of you know thinks, oh, he's such a fun quote and and all this sort of stuff. And he he says all these crazy things, but he also says some really stupid things. Does some really stupid things. And so uh, we we haven't really got into it very much in the past when we've been talking about Mike Leach. But I, I think that. You know, nobody should be surprised that he went and, you know, did something. Especially Mississippi State. Like, there's (laughs) no way they're going to hire this guy without knowing the past. Like, I I tell you what, I don't mind stuff like that tweet. Um, You know, like, I see where he's coming from. He's trying to be funny, whatever. Maybe it fell flat, you know, because he's not that funny. Uh, I didn't like when he was calling his own players grease spots and talking about how bad the other team killed him and stuff like that. And I know that's... You know, to some people, that's going to be inspirational. Like you're trying to rile these guys up to get them to go, but you know, uh, with with the kids these days, you know, I I don't know if they're going to take that as a rallying cry. They're just going to be like, "This guy's a jerk," you know. And uh, it just doesn't seem like anyone would want to come play for someone who's going to say that about me if I have a bad game. But you know, I I think I think that he he. You know, from a from a personality standpoint, he's got some flaws, obviously, and he's got some instincts that are perhaps not as good as you would like. Maybe a filter is not as good as you would like, and and so um, 
you know, right now he's got too much time on his hands, so he's he's got yeah. more opportunities to get himself in trouble. This was in bad taste and and uh, not a good look. And the uh, administration at Mississippi State mentioned that they were uh, sending him on a couple of guided tours to. Uh, some civil rights museums and things like that in the state. So, uh, you know, hopefully he'll learn from it. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, I, I certainly don't blame players that, that uh, decided it was, you know, perhaps not in their uh, best interest to, to stay if, if they didn't feel comfortable with, uh, you know, what, this sort of thing. Because, I, you know, I, I hate to be pessimistic, but I'm not sure it's the last time we'll see something offensive from Mike Leach, you know, before the season or oh, before absolutely. his tenure ends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, it, it's Mike Leach. So yeah. uh, n- not surprising that, uh, you know, idle hands, you know, idle hands to the devil's playground and Mike Leach with idle hands is going to tweet something offensive. So, um you know, uh, not that big of a surprise. But we had other news as well. Uh, FSU landed former Baylor defensive end Deontay Williams, and uh, so they, they got him. And then uh, another BYU transfer, Devin Kafusi, uh, committed to Utah. Oh, nice. Both could be contributors and eventual starters, depending on when they become eligible. You know, maybe they're eligible this year. We still have to figure that stuff out. We had some more, uh, you know, Dabo Swinney and Mike Gundy, uh, they made headlines for, you know, other types of comments, but it was more about getting college football started. You know, Mike Gundy's, I know specifically were, we want money running through the state of Oklahoma, you know, and uh, I don't really know what Dabo said, but I remember seeing it and rolling my eyes at it and going, this is just like him saying the media gave them no chance to make the national championship when they were literally number one all season long. So um, it, it just like uh, I, I think everyone understands that, you know, we all want a return to normalcy. Um, but your, your sport starts in so, you know, you still have so much time before it starts. I think we have time to work out the kinks and stuff like that. It's, you know. Not like the baseball plan going on right now, and people are people have all kinds of opinions on that. So uh, obviously, we all want to get uh, back to starting on time, and we'll see when we get there. It's not going to be because of comments from Dabo Sweeney or, or uh, Mike Gundy, that's for sure. And then, uh, according to ESPN's Laura Rutledge, schools are targeting mid-July for a hopeful return for their players, and just some semblance of athletic activity uh, getting ready for the season. So we do have to have a buildup. We're aiming for July right now, and there's been talk about the, the curve flattening and all that stuff. So we'll see if we actually get there. And, um, you know, so anything you have on any of those comments there, Nick? Uh, well, I mean, the, the Debo Sweeney and the Mike Gundy, different different topic and, and not quite as uh, perhaps – uh, insensitive, I guess, or, or whatever the, the oh, appropriate definitely. word is, is Mike yeah. Leach. But still, I think through this, we've learned, you know, there are some people that uh, we can listen to on, on the topics of the day, most, you know, dominant, of course, being the coronavirus and getting ready for things. And then there are some some folks that maybe just, uh, for whatever reason, uh, have a, a little too much time to think and, and maybe, you know, aren't the people that we need to uh, be focusing on it at this time. I thought it was, you know, this was sort of a, a news uh, drought of a week as far as college football goes. So 
uh, made sense to to bring these things up. But uh, I think, yeah, just just Debo Sweeney and Mike Gundy, great coaches. Not sure they're the the ones to turn to in uh, you know this particular crisis for for leadership. But uh, I, I was uh, happy to to see the report from. Laura Rutledge. And, and, you know, if, and it's of course a big if, but if things are moving toward um, a mid-July getting, you know, college football players back on campus, that would be an absolutely huge win. I'm, I'm certainly rooting for it. I'm uh, optimistic. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, you know, uh, to, to make any uh, hard and firm plans, but uh, you know, that's, that's uh, a good thing. And if we could get there, that would be great. Xavier, what are your thoughts on Dabo Swinney and Mike Gundy and all that stuff? I mean, I just think it's funny that Mike Gundy, you know, we, we, we think we thought that after I'm a man, I'm 40, you know, he couldn't make any wor- dumber comments or, <laughs> but you know, that memeable, you know, right? Yeah. He, he just continues to put himself in the public eye for better or for worse. Uh, Dabo, nice job, I guess, you know, way to keep yourself also in the public eye, uh, you know, positivity around, uh, what Laura Rutledge said, um, uh, Dr. Fauci kind of echoed similar sentiments when it comes to uh, what was, we were talking about pro football um, and seeing pro football come back in the fall. So, you know, it seems to be that, you know, uh, people who know a lot more than I do or at least have a better idea than I do are, are, are optimistic about football being back. So that's that or, or football continuing as normal. Uh, so that's that's a good thing. Um, as far as I think that's pretty much it. I think uh, that gives sports fans some hope um, because even if football comes back, you can you can already hear the rumblings of you know maybe the NBA season you know just decides to do the playoffs. You know MLB. What do you do from their standpoint? So I think that this is all good news. You know, not just for college football, but possibly for sports as a whole, and getting back to uh, some semblance of normalcy. And, and to me, there's no there's no sense in not having optimism. You know what I mean? There are some people right. that uh, I mean, you know, the Welsh and I over in this league had some people upset that we're even doing fantasy podcast right now. They're calling it escapist and things like that. I mean, but to me, there's no. There's no issue with having a little bit of positivity, but when you, you know, when you go out and you say things like, "Well, I think it's ridiculous that we're not doing stuff now," it's like, "Come on, man, we're all trying to help, right?" That's that's kind of the the point of the social distancing and stuff like that is we're all we're all trying to help the greater good right now, and uh, you know, a- as soon as it's okay to do these things, we're gonna have them back, you know. Um, obviously the world's going to change a little bit, but we're going to have our normal stuff back. It, it, most of it's going to come back to be the same way it was before. And, you know, some things just flat out going to have to change. So, uh, but you know, football isn't one of them. We're going to have football back at some point. Um, and then Nick, I mean, before we get into the, uh, returning production and all that stuff, you got a special offer, uh, this month. So tell us about that. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sure some of our listeners are also uh, readers of the Extra Points newsletter, uh, Matt Brown's newsletter. It dives uh, not it's it's college football focused, but it's more on the you know business side of things, the uh, the the uh, economics of the sport, and, and uh, some politics and things like that. I, I enjoy it. I'm a subscriber and. Uh, uh, once earlier this month, and then uh, his next newsletter, I, I'm, I believe there'll be a special offer 
uh, for CFP Winning Edge to, to readers of, of Extra Points. So uh, if you're a subscriber, if you are a subscriber uh, to Extra Points, but you're not yet a Patreon supporter of ours, uh, check it out and, and uh, you'll see a special offer in there for uh, a little bit of a discount for the month of April. Um, if you haven't signed up with us uh, before, that would be a, a good opportunity. So I certainly, um, it, it, you know, would uh, suggest you do that. And, and then uh, the next big thing, for us, as, as we've mentioned a couple of times, is returning production. And uh, we're going to do a, a deep dive on Power 5 offense here in, in, in just a minute. But uh, that's coming up in our 2020 FBS team profiles. Um, all 130 teams uh, will have pretty in-depth returning production numbers for uh you know, dozens of, of different statistics and you can uh, search by team and, and see how uh, everybody stacks up. Um, those are fully done for Power 5 conference teams at the moment. Uh, also have the ACC or excuse me, the AAC uh, done as of today, Wednesday, April 8th. So uh, we're, we're getting pretty close to, to finishing up the, the major projects. And uh, so if you're uh, a new patron or, or thinking of becoming a patron uh, will be pretty close to 100% complete with the uh, preseason, all of our stuff uh, in the, in the coming days. And Nick is an absolute workhorse. I mean, Xavier, I know, you know that I've had him on Fridays on my radio show to talk college fantasy football. And uh, he sent me his list that is available on CFB winning edge right now. And I was like, well, Nick, I mean, you've got like, a thousand wide receivers listed. You didn't rank all the way down to the bottom of this list, did you? And he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's uh, if you don't think Nick is putting in the work, the work is absolutely ongoing and constant at CFP Winning Edge. So, uh, with that being said, Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, returning production um, and why it's important, and then uh, go take us into this dive uh, on the, the Power 5 offenses here. Absolutely. So uh, for listeners out there, it's, it's probably going to be a lot of me droning on for the next uh, little bit. So Scott and Xavier, please do uh, interrupt me at, at points with questions and, and anything that comes to mind. But um, as I mentioned, I, I was doing uh, in our FBS team profiles, we, we've added uh, a returning production section down below all of our depth charts and injury reports and, and all of that, which is uh, something new this year. We did have a full returning production database available to our uh, tier three patrons last year, but decided to incorporate that in our team profiles this year and kind of keep everything on the same page. So hopefully it reads, you know, similar to, to maybe like a college football preview magazine where you've got, you know, a section for the, the player information, a section for stats, a section for the schedule and, and all that sort of stuff. So wanted to try to keep it uh, sort of contained in, in mostly one major Google sheet instead of having, you know, five or six or seven <laughs> different uh, sheets that all of our patrons had to, to flip through. So trying to consolidate a little bit of those. But uh, I've been working on this project for a few weeks now, going through and, uh, you know, taking the percentages of, uh, you know, passing yardage coming back or, or pass attempts, pass touchdowns, and then, of course, all the rushing information receiving and, and all that. And and uh, thought it would be good to sort of, you know, pick my, my head up a little bit. And since we've gone through all the Power 5 programs, to take a look at, at 
first the offense, we'll do defense another day, but uh, really kind of dive into them. What do these numbers mean? What can they tell us? Uh, who, you know, what teams this year compare to some teams last year based on returning production? Can we see if there's, you know, an offense or a team that maybe has uh, some signs that they're really getting ready to, to break through? based on some of the numbers and, and things like that. So uh, there are, are basically six main things, five and a half, I guess, main things that, that we'll go through today. The first, uh, anybody that's listened to us before has heard me talk about roster strength. And roster strength is our overall, uh, like it says, the, the, the strength of a team's roster. So you can think of talent uh, sort of as a, a, a generic term, you know, which team is the most talented. But roster strength goes a step or two farther because we take talent and adjust it for experience and production. So that we get a, a number that's based, you know, similar to uh, a video game rating, which you'd see on Madden, something like that, uh, similar scale. And that allows us to compare roster strength from one year to the next. So I call that roster strength plus minus. There's, you know, whatever. You, we could name it something uh, different in the future, but it's basically comparing our 2020 roster strength to what a team was at the end of the 2019 season. And the FBS average right now, uh, teams lose about a little over a point and a half, about 1.62 points. Uh, the, the average FBS roster today is 1.6 points weaker than the average roster at the end of the 2019 season. And that's because over the course of a season, players at production, uh, so players, you know, will increase their individual ratings. And then when those, a lot of times, you know, the starters, the big time guys leave early for the NFL, uh, or graduate and are replaced with players that uh, have not played before, it makes sense that the average team is going to be weaker. Um, in uh, 2019, uh, because we calculated things a little bit different, uh, the average Power 5 team actually increased about half a point. So uh, that that's a little bit, you know, uh, it's not a perfect match, but we'll get into to a little bit more of, uh, you know, what we can tell, even though the, the roster strengths don't match up 100% based on last year's uh, equations. I'll give a little bit more detail, but the FBS average as a whole did go down slightly in 2019. So it's not that much out of the ordinary. Do you think uh, that's but, because of uh, the ability to transfer uh, more easily? So uh, transfers have... A little bit to do with it, um, and it, it certainly is a, a you know some teams are uh, big time you know going to have big time uh, increases because of transfers. SMU was one last year. Their roster strength went uh, way up based on a lot of guys that were coming in. You know Shane Bouchelle first and foremost, but uh, a lot of guys on defense as well. So absolutely, that that is a, is a yeah. factor. I, any team with teams. potentially racist tweets too, Mike Leach. Maybe you have. <laughs> A potential to have you know, more transfers. Uh, you know. That uh, that is a concern. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, <man. laughs> Sorry. But I, I just uh, saw that opera. I had to hit that one out of the, the right. park there. Yeah, so, you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so ro change in roster strength or roster strength plus minus is the way it's it's sort of written on all our profiles is is a big thing. But then also we break down the percentage of passing yards, percentage of rushing yards, percentage of receiving yards. And then, because there's not really a great method that we have right now to quantify offensive line uh, production, 
uh, we took uh, take a look at the number of starters coming back and then the number of overall starts coming back. So those are sort of our, our six or, or five and a half categories. But um, basically, when you're looking at returning production and, and you're diving deep into these percentages, a good rule of thumb is to expect uh, the average team to lose between uh, 60 and and. 65% or excuse me to, to welcome back 60 and 65%. So we're going to see a changeover of about a third of the overall production for every team. And that goes pretty much in any, any category. I mean, it, it varies uh, just, you know, there's only 130 teams. So you could see some, some, you know, skews in one way or the other, but on average, you're going to expect to see change of about two thirds to uh, 60% in a given category. So uh, this year, the average returning production and passing yardage is 60.84%. That's what we've got right now. And so, you know, things are, are going to be sort of right in, in that range. And then for offensive line, the returning starters, each team averages three returning starters coming back and then a little less than 70 starts. Uh, and those are right on on target with what they were uh, this time last year as well. So um, keep those numbers in mind. And then I am in the process of typing all this stuff and, and putting it in a Patreon post for our uh, subscribers. So you'll be able to see sort of the document that, that I'm working from here uh, if it doesn't you know, uh, click right away as you're listening to it. But the first thing I wanted to do is see what the four college football playoff teams looked like last year using these uh, percentages and these numbers. And, you know, could we see, you know, was there something in LSU that, that we should have seen like, oh, yeah, LSU is going to take a big step forward or that, you know, the, the four elite teams, was there something that we could have, maybe looked at at this point in the preseason and thought, oh, yeah, in addition to just being among the most talented teams, these are some things that we need to, to take a look at. And, and it's a very, very small sample size, but it's interesting. It, it kind of shows the the overall uh, sort of range of, of potential outcomes because LSU absolutely was, you know, uh, based on returning production, we should have expected a big jump forward. They increased their roster strength by almost three points. They brought back every single passing yard. They brought back 86% of the receiving yards, four offensive line starters, and 65 starts was about on average, but four guys were starters. On the other end of things, Ohio State uh, did increase their roster strength a little bit when they added Justin Fields, but they brought back zero passing yards, less than 50% of their rushing yards, less than 50% of their receiving yards, only one returning starting on the offensive line, and only 36 uh, career starts on the offensive line. So uh, Oklahoma was was pretty similar. Offensive line was you know very inexperienced. The receiving core was pretty inexperienced. A quarterback, even though Jalen Hurts uh, brought a lot of experience from uh, from Alabama, based on you know his uh, Oklahoma only returning production, they brought back less than one percent of their total passing yards. So pretty wide range of options there. But I, I also looked a little bit deeper at all the division winners. And so we've got 10 different teams that won a division, uh, those four playoff teams. And then, of course, uh, Georgia won the SEC East, uh, Oregon and Utah in the uh, Pac-12 North and South. Uh, Baylor was the other team in the Big 12. Uh, Wisconsin, of course, played Ohio State in the uh, Big Ten championship game. And then Virginia played Clemson in the ACC. 
on average, those teams increased their roster strength by a little bit more than one and a half points compared to their 2018 end of season. Their passing yards, each team brought it back uh, about 68%. Rushing yards, 67%. Receiving yards, 63%. So all of those are in line with and even a, a, a touch maybe slightly higher than the FBS average. Man. Offens- uh, offensive line, uh, the average team brought back 2.8 starters and 63 starts. So those were actually a little bit lower than the FBS average. So right. the uh, uh, one one thing that, that we've found over the years is that offensive line experience actually doesn't correlate to uh, – <laughs> to, uh, Are you uh, about to tell us that offensive linemen don't matter, Nick? <laughs> yes, they're harder. Exactly. They're less correlated. They're they're harder to uh, to to. I'm I'm losing my words here, but uh, offensive line experience is less correlated to overall. Yeah, it's not a one to one. Right. And passing yards and receiving yards. Yeah. Well, that and that makes sense because there's five of them. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, there's five of them. So if you're losing two, it's much better than losing four or five, of course. But also, you know, if you have five new starters, maybe your weakness last year is your strength this year because one of the new starters is filling in uh, better. I mean, I think, the you know, the, the passing yards is probably what, – what did you say the closest is, Nick? Was it rushing yards or – uh, no, r- yards. rushing yards is actually uh, less correlated. It, it the the biggest thing is receiving yardage total. Actually, okay, is, is the most correlated with success year over year. If you return a higher level of your receiving production, that's better. And, and sort of coupled with that is overall passing production. So the combination of passing and receiving is is uh, the the thing you really want to look for if you're looking for an offense to to make a jump based on experience or or returning production alone you want to look at the combination of of passing yardage but also receiving yardage coming back uh and that's going to be rough for teams like lsu who lost a ton you know uh, coming back this season but also uh who are some teams nick that maybe are, are potentially jumping up this season because they have so many returners all right, so there there are sort of two different ways of going about that. I, I built a chart, and I won't read through the whole thing. I'll save you that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there are are six teams that rank at the uh, the the very top, and these are P five only. So we'll we'll talk about G five another day. But um, there are six teams that have a, a an increase in roster strength more than any other team. All right, so uh, Texas A&M is the the biggest gainer as far as roster strength from the end of last year to to this year. Northwestern is second, Oklahoma State, Purdue, Georgia Tech, and USC. So the you know if you're not if you're looking at at uh, just who's bringing back the most and, and roster strength is both offense and defense. So uh, we'll we'll dig a little bit deeper on a couple of these that are the most experienced offenses. But think of you know. First and foremost, if you're looking for somebody to take a jump, those six are a good place to start. And I'll just want to throw in that USC is in there, which is a big one yeah. for Nick for sure. So is that one the one that stood Not out Georgia to Tech. you? Is that <laughs> Not Georgia Tech, really? Come on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
you say he said it's a good team to take a jump on. I'm just saying right now, don't do it. You know, I'm just I'm just trying to be your life preserver. Uh, so uh, I would say no. Um, but obviously, yeah, USC definitely with having that roster strength of plus one, and we talked about them probably being the favorite in the Pac-12 makes them uh, gives them just more credence to being to earning that favorite spot. So yeah, and and you bring up a good point. I mean, Georgia Tech is not we're not expecting them to jump up and become you know an ACC contender or anything like that or even you know in the in their division it's more if you're looking at last year's team and georgia tech obviously struggled they had the change in uh head coach and, and overall scheme on offense um and it you know uh, racked up a lot of a lot of losses but if you're looking for a team to perhaps you know win maybe one or two more games than they did last year Georgia Tech might be somebody to look at. And, and you know, in weeks past, we looked at uh, win totals and, and things like that. This sort of goes in with that. If you're looking through win totals and you say, uh, wow, Georgia Tech's only, you know, uh, two and a half wins or, or whatever it was. Uh, and you think back, OK, well, they they were one of the biggest gainers as far as roster strength from the end of last year. So maybe they're a pretty good bet to win one or two extra games. So uh, similarly, if we're just looking back to 2019, some of the teams that were in this category were Oregon State. They were the, the overall biggest uh, improvement in roster strength. And they took a big jump forward. I mean, they were, I think their win total was what, two uh, in the preseason last year, and they ended up winning five games. So they took a, a big step forward. Baylor was second. We saw Baylor obviously uh, go from a, you know, middling bowl contending team to the pa- uh, Big 12 runner up. Louisville, uh, was one of the, the most improved teams in all of college football. They were third best in, in roster strength. Utah is on this list. Oklahoma was on this list. LSU is on this list. There were certainly some misses. Uh, Tennessee w- was fifth and obviously started so poorly last year, came on at the end of the year. Maryland, kind of the opposite, started off hot and really fell off. Arkansas was again disappointing. UCLA was again disappointing. So it's it's certainly not a perfect metric, but it is something uh, kind of as a starting point. I would like to see, you know, when we get five years of data out of this, Nick, I I would like to see a correlation Mm -hmm. to newer coaching staffs as well. Because you just mentioned Arkansas and UCLA, and they got recently got new head coaches. You know, uh, of course, my brain is melting now because I'm in the middle of everything. But um, (laughs) so I can't remember who else had new coaches here. But I mean, Tennessee was that Pruitt's second year at Tennessee as well. So and you know, Tennessee had an embarrassing loss that Xavier loves, but. you know, uh, yes. s- some of these teams in Tennessee just got, like you mentioned, so hot at the end. So uh, I, I, I really l- would like to see that as well. So the, the, these are I just I love seeing these numbers and the correlation and all that good stuff. Yeah. And, and again, I'll, I'll post this on on the site so people will be able to, to follow it a little bit easier. But sort of on the other end of the spectrum, looking at, at 2019, the teams at the the lowest, you know, the, the biggest losers as far as roster strength from 2018, NC State. NC State was a team a lot of people had in their, you know, top 40 or, or so in the preseason in, in 2019. Our numbers really didn't like them and they really fell off. And, and looking back, it, it makes sense. I mean, they were uh, one of the biggest losers as far as returning production, uh, at least from a roster strength standpoint. 
from 2018 to 2019. So perhaps, you know, maybe people could have looked at that and said, all right, maybe NC State shouldn't be a top 40 team. Maybe they're going to struggle to make a bowl game. And then when injuries hit, as they did, uh, a team that really ends up disappointing. Georgia Tech is on this list. Again, you know, we, we talked about them. They were going to fall off. Purdue, Syracuse, those were teams on this yeah. list. On the other hand, Kentucky actually ranked second as far you know, or, or, you know, one. 29 or, or whatever Second it is. Worst, as far as, yeah. Right. And, and so uh, they were in a, a different situation because they ended up, you know, getting really creative, putting Lynn Bowden at, at quarterback and he ends up giving him a, a huge shot in the arm. Uh, Penn State was on this list because they had a change of quarterback and, and you know, other other areas. So uh, they were obviously a, a solid team. So, again, it's not it's not perfect, but there are some teams that we can look at and, and think, OK, this team is is really on the edges, really an outlier. Like in Oklahoma State last year, over five and a half points in the in the positive. NC State over five and a half points in the negative. You know, both of those teams went as we would have expected them to based on these numbers. Very very small sample, but uh, just well, something to keep in mind. When you're using those practically, also, I think what it says more is these are less of a sure bet. You know, not that the positive teams are a sure bet. But it shows the shakiness uh, of uh, the team losing a lot of production. And I feel like most people would agree with that, you know, when just taking the overarching obvious one that we can look at, LSU winning the national title but losing Joe Burrow and uh, losing uh, receivers and offensive linemen and a bunch of pieces on, uh, you know, the defense as well, less fewer people are um going to pick LSU to win the SEC this year because they're missing all those pieces and this kind of just shows not that it's a, an impossibility but that they're way less of a sure thing so when you're betting on something especially when it's uh you know preseason totals maybe you know I, I mean if you're confident this shouldn't shake you off of that but when you see numbers like this and you're adding it up maybe go yeah you know what maybe I just won't put that bet on Penn State this year that's all so uh, sure. I think when you're breaking it down practically, it, it's just a good point to make uh, as far as using these numbers. Sure. And and LSU is the is the premium example. They lost over six points in roster strength, which is the biggest in college football based on these numbers. Utah was second. Baylor was third. Those are the three teams that lost four points or more. Uh, other teams that are in the, the, you know, deep in the hole, two and a half points or more, Vanderbilt, Kansas. Minnesota, Michigan, Arizona, Wisconsin, Maryland, Michigan State, Syracuse, Colorado, and Oregon State. Last year's big winner is is now on the uh, you know pretty big negative side uh, for 2020. So as you're looking at you know a Wisconsin projection, I've heard you know whispers from different people. Oh, Wisconsin looks like a top 10 team. Maybe they're a legitimate challenger in the Big Ten. I'm going to be a little bit hesitant because they are. Uh, really towards kind of the extreme as far as what they lost compared to last year. And, and a big part of that is Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Quintus Cephas, of course, is, is part of that. And then a couple of their best linebackers. But, uh, you know, it's just something to, to keep in mind. Minnesota, are they going to be able to take, take another big step forward? Well, they actually lost quite a bit as far as their overall roster strength. And for them, it's a lot on defense. But uh, again, just just kind of, you know, numbers that uh, we're not saying it's it's absolute 
you know, LSU is going to fall off a cliff or uh, Minnesota is going to fall off a cliff. But it's something, as you were saying, you know, if, if you're kind of trying to decide on a particular team or, or kind of what your opinion is on a particular team or if you're wanting to, to bet for or against a particular team, it's just another data point to sort of keep in mind and, and think, oh, Wisconsin, actually, maybe they're uh, a little bit overrated potentially just because they're going to be so young. All right. I mean, Xavier, uh, what are your thoughts on these returning production numbers and what which ones do you see that you go uh, that that either you, you question or you get excited about? The, the one I, I think I'd question the most uh, are, I mean, obviously returning passing yardage. Uh, when, I, when I look at teams who return, you know, all of this amount of uh, when they return this, their quarterback, is it always a positive? I always want to look at whether or not that quarterback, even though, you know, when you have the 13 teams who return 100% of their passing yardage, is that a good thing? Depending right. on, you know, the, the quality of their quarterback, what their offense looks like, that's something that I don't think you can necessarily look at. Now, the same token goes for when you look at teams who lost, who, who the 15 teams in this case, who return less than 10% of their passing yardage. You have a team like Georgia and Jake Fromm. You have a team like Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts. You have a team like LSU and Joe Burrow. And even even more importantly, you have a team like Virginia uh, and losing Bryce Perkins, who, yes, he was the you know he was their quarterback, but he also did it with his legs. Yeah. So you you know you look at those kind of numbers, and they kind of go in tandem. When you look at you know I didn't go through the teams that return 100 percent of their passing yardage, but like Ole Miss, are, are we sure that's necessarily a good thing? Does uh, Plumlee make that next step next year? Can he? Um, when you look at Tennessee and, and Garantano, and can he make that next step? You know, or you're happy about it, and you look at North Carolina and Sam Howell, and you know, you're like, okay, he's coming back for his sophomore year. You know, and, and you maybe as a North Carolina fan or somebody who wants to put money down on North Carolina or anything like that, you get excited. So I think those two contrasts are definitely something I have to look at a lot, especially with the way college football is played a lot nowadays. It's not played as much in the trenches. So rushing yardage and that kind of thing kind of goes out the window for me. Passing yardage means a lot uh, when it comes to the caliber of quarterback, because if you're returning hundred percent, but he only threw for like 2,100 yards, is that always a great thing? So, you know, those kind of things have to go hand in hand. And, uh, you know, the, a great point to make on North Carolina, one, the only team uh, returning, uh, I believe the only team returning 100% of the passing yards and 90% of the receiving yards mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, Sam Howell, North Carolina, going to be a lot of fun to watch here. You know, obviously, uh, passing yardage, uh, the big factor is, you know, do you return your starter? Most most teams are going to have one full-time starter, and that's really just sort of one building block. But, Scott, I think you brought up a, a great point, putting in the, the combination of somebody that's brought, you know, bringing back the, the largest percentage of uh, their passing uh, yardage and and a hundred is not necessarily the most important thing, but if you're over ninety, you know you're you're bringing back a full time starter. It means you probably didn't have a major you know quarterback controversy, and and it's you know going to account for if there was a trick play and a, a receiver you know threw a pass or, or something like that, and maybe that guy's off to the NFL, or whatever. So so uh, I, I I look mostly at ninety percent if. 90% of your passing is coming back and then 75% or more of your receiving yardage. And and there are some teams that are 
in that combination, I think it's important. North Carolina, you mentioned, is is at the the top, 100% passing, over 90% of the receiving yards. That's that's excellent. Uh, Louisville is uh, in that in that boat. That's why you got two, two Atwell ranks so high. Absolutely, and, and Louisville also brings back uh, almost or, or actually all of its uh, rushing yards. So that that's important. They got the the, the trio there. Um, Illinois is in this category. Northwestern is in this category. It makes sense. They're one of the most experienced teams in the country. Ole Miss, Xavier brought up a great point, is, is you know, do we what do we know about Ole Miss? Well, they kind of had a, a little bit of a, a quarterback battle, didn't really fully resolve itself. I mean, Plumlee got the vast majority of the playing time, but, uh, you know, didn't – it never felt like he had a full, you know, grip on – that job, and then now with the coaching change, you know, maybe Corral has a little bit more of a a, a chance of getting back and, and getting into uh, higher levels of playing time. So it's always important to bring context. So I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Xavier. So what I did is ran through last year. There were five uh, teams that were in that category: ninety percent or more passing, seventy-five percent. Uh, or more of their receiving production coming back. And these, again, are just P5 teams. But those teams were pretty good. Florida, LSU, USC, Utah, and Minnesota. Offensively, I think we could say that all of those teams took a step forward. Even with Florida uh, losing Felipe Franks during the course of the year, Kyle Trask stepped in and and did some pretty good things uh, for them. And and USC, though they might have you know, underperformed in some people's eyes, took a, a really big step forward offensively. There were only two teams that brought back that trio of 90% or more passing, 80% or more rushing, or 75% or more receiving. That's Utah and Minnesota. And, you know, thinking back on it, those were teams that had modest expectations last year that mm-hmm. both of them ended up winning double-digit games. And a lot of it had to do with some pretty solid offensive performances. Both had good defenses as well. But, uh, you know, Minnesota especially, I think, took a a big step forward, particularly in the passing game. This year, the only team that returns all three is Nebraska. Nebraska brings back pretty much everybody that uh, had anything to do with the passing game. If Adrian Martinez stays healthy, you know, that that would be big. But they're bringing back the the vast majority of their rushing yardage, and they're bringing back a lot of their – uh, receiving yardage as well, more than 75%. And they're also uh, something that that didn't happen last year. Throw in that trio of returning production and add, they've got more than 100 starts on the offensive line coming back. So they're one of the 25 most experienced offensive lines in the Power Five conference uh, conferences. So add that, and, and I think Nebraska has an opportunity to take a, a big, big step forward next year uh last year sort of on the opposite end um two teams that were among the the least experienced had 10 percent or less passing 40 percent or less rushing 50 percent or less receiving were kind of on the two opposite ends of the spectrum nc state which we talked about had a huge drop off but ohio state was also in that mix they made a run to the playoffs so it, it's not necessarily something, again, that we can rely on, but it's something to keep an eye out for. And the only team that falls in that category this year is Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt not only is among the least talented Power 5 teams, but they're also 
uh, bringing back the least amount of returning production from those three categories. So just something to, to keep in mind. Vanderbilt got a great has baseball team, Nick. Really bad. They, they do. Yeah, <laughs> Vanderbilt's got a great baseball team. If you're a Vanderbilt fan, watch watch some baseball is what I'd say. And, of course, unfortunately, wow. that season ended wow. uh, soon. But next season, it's going to be coming back, and, and they're great. But uh, I, I, I love the point about Nebraska because, you know, I mentioned this on uh, when – Nick, you and I were on FNTSY the other day, uh, last Friday, in fact. It's on a podcast if you guys want to check that out. Just check out ITL on F- FNTSY on your podcast apps, and you can find that. We're talking about some CFF. But we're talking about Adrian Martinez potentially as a, you know, uh, look, I don't think he's going to win the Heisman, but would I list him as a dark horse candidate? Hell, yes, I would. Uh, tons of talent, disappointed last year, so his number is going to, the payoff is going to be much higher. Adrian Martinez, and he's got a lot of returning talent. So, uh, you know, you know, you can use it even in instances as that. Now, you know, like I said, uh, would I put some money on Adrian Martinez to win the Heisman? Yeah, especially if the payout's big. I wouldn't put my mortgage on it or anything. Mm-hmm. But, um, Fair. you know, if it's if it's going off around twenty to one, I don't see why you wouldn't throw, you know, a, a little change on something like that. So. Um, uh, definitely more than just looking at overall team production can be used out of this as well. So I, I really like these uh, returning numbers. So Xavier, you got any uh, final notes on these returning numbers? No, I think that, I mean, honestly, I think that this is going to be something that can be used by, you know, our lovely patrons um, going forward. Um, and I think Nick did a really good job on these. Um, my only thing with, you know, as soon as you pointed out that Nebraska's 100 plus uh, O line starts, I tried to find it as quickly as possible. I, I tried to look for how many sacks they gave up last year, because uh, <laughs> y- you always have to have a caveat with these numbers. With receive returning production is only good if the production beforehand was good as well. Very true. Uh, you know, trash left in the garbage after a long time just smells even worse. So. You know, you can't always, you know, put your, you, you know, you're not going to put your house on this. Like, like Look Scott at this was saying, poet gonna... right here. I love this. <laughs> uh, but I think it's something that you have to, you have to use as a caveat. You know, you can use these numbers, obviously. Um, and I think that for most, for the most part, and for the big teams, it honestly, you know, shows how much it puts them apart from maybe the rest of the pack. Um, and obviously it allows you to pick for the, the conference winners and possibly a national champion winner, you know, it, it it's something that you can use there. But I think for some of the more middling teams, you have to look at the, the, the underlying numbers with this um, a little bit more than just, just the, uh, from re- returning production. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a great point. And, and context, adding context is, is big. And, and uh, I was having a conversation uh, the other day and talking about, you know, once I get done with, with running all these numbers, returning production, what am I going to do next? And, and I really want to just kind of, pick my head up out of the spreadsheet for a little bit, sit and watch a lot of games and, and sort of do more deep dive uh, watching, scouting, you know, looking at, at uh, film and, and other games that are available on, on uh, YouTube and, and things like that. And, and the question came up, well, you know, if you're doing analytics, it's kind of two different things. There are certainly people who say these are the numbers and you need to, to follow the numbers and, and that's why they exist. But, you know, I, I certainly do uh, appreciate 
Uh, and you brought up, you know, you brought numbers uh, to it with with sacks allowed and sack percentage and, and things like that, which which is important as well. But even beyond that, I think it's important to add more context, uh, just you know, beyond numbers it, itself. And and you know, what do your eyes tell you? And I I do try to to follow uh, our numbers and and think that they can pull out some interesting things. They're certainly not gospel, so it's important to to. You know, maybe you do. Maybe you are really hesitant about Nebraska, uh, and that's understandable. You know, you watch a Nebraska game and and you see that uh, Adrian Martinez is run running for his life, and that's why he ended up uh, getting hurt and missing time. And, and that's certainly a, a fair point. But then on the other hand, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe if if uh, and it's you know, it's always a, a a maybe you always have to take a little bit of a uh, a chance i guess but uh, you think okay well if they could improve a little bit maybe the the chemistry is you know they can get five percent better or or whatever it is and, and that keeps him healthy well then nebraska is a team that uh would they go five and seven last year missed a bowl game mm-hmm. and think okay well if if you know if if because of the chemistry because of the continuity they can improve overall five percent, ten percent offensively, uh, and they, you know, defense is a, is a whole other thing. But uh, maybe Nebraska is a team that could take a step forward. Maybe they're not Minnesota. Maybe they're not going to win ten games. But maybe they're a team that uh, could take a big enough jump to, you know, seven wins, eight wins, something like that. And it's something that uh, these numbers may. Give us a, a little bit of a uh, some context to, to uh, a prediction or a projection that uh, expects Nebraska to, to uh, go to a bowl game or, or whatever. Um, it, it's just another piece of the puzzle to, to projecting and analyzing and, and things like that. So it, it's interesting because you know people can take sort of whatever they want from from numbers or projections or, or things like that. But it's always good. To have the information, I think, and, and uh, Nebraska is a team that I'm going to be uh, when I do the deep dive and, and do more uh, scouting and, and film work. They're a team I'm probably going to keep a little closer eye on uh, because of this, because of this exercise. Uh, by the way, Nebraska last season, 28 sacks allowed, uh, 2.33 per game, uh, which isn't uh, a crazy number either way. No. It's kind of. Uh, dead in the middle. So, you know, right. you would expect with more experience, uh, you know, like like Xavier said, you know, look at one number, look at another number just to kind of back it up and, uh, you know, uh, putting some context into this uh, 168 yards uh, lost on, on sacks. So not terrible. I mean, you know, right. two, two or three sacks a game isn't great. You know, they're not, um, you know, looking at the best ones. I mean, obviously, Air Force with no dropbacks allowed four sacks last year. So uh, we like stuff like that. Buffalo only gave up eight, but Bama gave up 12. You know, Georgia only gave up 15, um, you know, and some of these other good teams that had great years. FIU only gave up 14, Clemson 18. So not not, uh, not horrible numbers for Nebraska. Right. So hopefully a little bit of gelling uh, gets them in line. But our – are you ready, guys, to talk about uh, Xavier's favorite conference among all wow. teams, the MAC? <laughs> Let's do it. All right, here we go. Just looking back at 2019 and, and uh, taking uh, peering back at the MAC. Uh, of course, we start with 
the best teams. No one had more than eight wins in the MAC last year. But Miami of Ohio was eight and six, won the MAC uh, in the title game last year. Buffalo eight and five as well. Obviously, a huge year from Jarrett Patterson and company. Uh, Central Michigan wound up at eight and six as well. Uh, Western Michigan at seven and five. We had Ohio at seven and five, and Kent State. Uh, all checking in with seven wins. Then we had some middle-of-the-pack teams here. Um, Eastern Michigan, six and seven. Ball State, five and seven. Northern Illinois, five and seven. And Toledo, six and six, which I think Toledo was the one that we were farthest off on uh, looking from the 2019 preseason to uh, 2019 actual results. But Toledo also had tons of injury issues, particularly a quarterback with uh, Mitch Gadani. Uh, missing some games there and then the bad teams were bad you know i mean um northern illinois going five and seven ball state five and seven bowling green three and nine and akron failed to win a game oh and 12 last season so nick what are your initial thoughts when you look back at the 2019 max season uh well first and foremost uh i i felt pretty good in the just sort of big picture a lot of our numbers as far as you know how many games we projected a team to win they lined up decently well we had miami of ohio winning seven games and and uh i think that uh if if memory serves most outlets weren't you know as high on maybe a miami of ohio we didn't expect them to win the east we had ohio uh number one but for some reason they just have, have struggled to uh finish and and get that MAC championship. So uh, a little bit of a disappointment. Buffalo, we had uh, projected pretty high, which I was surprised because they were really on the far end of that, uh, you know, the, the wrong end of the returning production last year. They were among the, the biggest losers in all of college football. I think they lost close to seven points from 2018. So uh, we were, uh, you know, pretty pleased, I guess, with, with how that uh, worked out sort of at the top end of the East. You hit it on the head. Toledo was our uh, really, our, our preseason favorite. We had them uh, expected to, to, or you know, projected as the favorite in ten games, uh, and they only won six and, and didn't. Uh, were not picked to uh, go to a bowl game, so that was a, a major disappointment. We were pretty high on Eastern, or excuse me, Western Michigan. Uh, they had the uh, overall highest team strength ratings or overall power rating. We had uh, Western Michigan as our top-ranked team, and the, the schedule didn't set up particularly well for them. They hit their projection uh, pretty pretty well, seven wins, uh, but overall a little bit, little bit disappointing. Uh, Akron was uh, interesting because we only had them favored in one game, but we expected them to win almost five. I mean, 4.9 uh, was their projected total win, and, and obviously that was a huge miss. So they were a major disappointment. We had them picked uh, to cover a lot of weeks, um, and they just you know kept piling up losses and, and had one of the worst rushing uh, seasons in history. I mean, Akron was, was just absolutely terrible running the football. So uh, overall, I think we talked you know last week about how – how we have a, a team favored in a certain number of games might differ quite a bit from their projected overall wins. Akron was obviously the case because on the surface, it looks like, okay, we only had them going one and 11. But then when you look at the projected wins, you know, adding up all those uh, individual win projection percentages, you know, how, what percent they have a win a particular game, we expect them to win almost five games. That That's a big miss. 
Xavier, what were your, uh, you know, what are your thoughts looking back at the Mac from 2019? So when looking at the Mac, first and foremost, you know, Akron was bad. Um, I think we can get that out of the way. That might have been the harshest uh, review of a team I've ever heard Nick do um, right there. That was that <laughs> well, was when, you're his, when you're historically bad. I can't really tiptoe around it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is a team that got shut out twice, got almost shut out five times last year, barely putting up 20 points all season. Uh, they were bad. They were really bad. Um, hopefully they can bounce back next year. But uh, Ball State was a team that I felt, you know, was a team that, you know, it was a pleasant surprise. Yes, they didn't, you know, go to a bowl game. They finished five and seven. When we look at the numbers, you know, projected win losses was about two and ten. Uh, now, projected wins have them at 4.7, so they fit right around the projected win total. But when you look at their schedule overall, they were very competitive in and out of conference. This is a team that barely lost, that in all of their non-conference games, they only lost by about 10 points to NC State, Florida Atlantic, and Indiana, which none of those teams are terrible or scrubs. So, you know, they were very and they were very competitive in inside their conference as well. Uh, losing the Central Michigan by one, losing the Western Michigan by four, Kent State by three. This was a team that if the ball had bounced any a different way. They might have easily have won their conference uh, or won their division. Um, and, you know, another thing for me is talking about the Western division. It was very, very tight. Uh, you know, you look at the winner of the division in Central Michigan at eight and six uh, and they were two and four on the road. This was a, co- a division that was in a conference as a whole that was just, you know, very, very competitive. There was no outlier winner here who ran away from, uh, ran away with it. Um, and at any given point, it looked like one team might take it. For instance, when you look at um, Central Michigan down the stretch, they lost their last two games. You look at a team like Western Michigan, they won their last four games. So, you know, at no point in this, uh, in that calendar year, did you feel like you were out of it depending on the team that you were. Uh, so I think that that bodes well to a, a conference that hasn't had a back-to-back winner since 2013-2014. Uh, Northern Illinois was the last back-to-back champion of, of the MAC. Uh, just kind of talking about the parody of this conference as a whole. And it makes matching a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. Uh, watching those Tuesday night games at the end of the season with the uh, conference being so close, it makes it even more must-watch TV. I mean, I know people make fun of action, but trust me, there are people that would kill right now just to see a Tuesday night football <laughs> yeah. game, uh, just to get some sports. So I think action will go uh, very, very, uh, you know, it will not be underappreciated again in 2020, that's for sure. Um, you sound like a commissioner. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So um, let's take a look at, uh, you know, just the returners uh, coming back and how we have these teams pre-ranked now look you know the mac is fun to watch in the context of the mac you know uh having some of these teams go up against better uh bigger and better conferences you can't get a little bit rough and, and I, I just say that to also put out that the highest uh total ranked team for the nation uh and this is according to our ranks of course but is buffalo at 81 that's the highest. They're they're first uh, among the MAC. So they've got eight returning uh, starters, including the quarterback, and um, obviously Jarrett Patterson. A huge part of what they did last year is coming back as well. Uh, the next highest ranked team is Ohio. They don't have their quarterback coming at, uh, back, but they have nine returners on offense or uh, defense, seven on offense. And Nick, I think 
is this Rourke's uh, brother that that uh, could be leading them this season? That's correct. Yeah. So yeah, more uh, Rourke. Curtis Rourke. Yeah, C- Curtis Rourke. So uh, you know Nate Rourke, uh, obviously moving on, graduating, and uh, we could have more Rourke. So no, not officially returning. Uh, uh, quarterback, but we might see a familiar name there. Um, moving down here, we've got Western Michigan at 92, but first in the West, Toledo at 94, second in the West. Um, I like that you put half a quarterback returning for Toledo <laughs> here, Nick, because Eli Peters, of course, as I mentioned before, Mitch Gadani uh, being hurt, uh, and Eli Peters getting a lot of run last season. So uh, he's coming back and he started, what was it? It was about half their games, correct? Yeah, right at right at half, and he's got ten career starts, so he's he's experienced. He's he's almost a uh, uh, returning. Starter, you might even but, put .75 on there. So. You know, you could. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Western Michigan not returning the quarterback. Uh, six on offense, six on defense for them. Toledo five on offense, including the quarterback, and seven on uh, defense. Then um, you know we get into these post one hundred teams. Uh, Central Michigan is uh, c- clocking in at 101, seven returners on offense, eight, uh, six on defense. Uh, Kent State in Miami, Ohio, 107 for Miami, Ohio, who won the MAC last year, and Kent State at 120. Um, both returning starting quarterbacks and 10 offensive starters returning for Miami of Ohio. So uh, they could have a pretty good look this year as well. Um, and then, you know, Eastern Michigan, Northern Illinois are down there always – uh, always tough, uh, you know, in within this conference. Uh, Eastern Michigan returning five on offense, five on defense. Mike Glass is, of course, gone. Um, he had the weirdness ending his uh, career at Eastern Michigan. Northern Illinois returning their quarterback, six on offense, five on defense. And then we've got the bottom dwellers, but we don't have Akron as the worst team here. We've got Bowling Green <laughs> as the worst team here. So Akron getting a little bit of a boost, uh, returning Cato Nelson as one of their seven returning starters on offense and seven on defense with Bowling Green only returning four starters without their quarterback on offense and five returners on defense. So, uh, Nick, break down the 2020 outlook of the MAC for us. Well, I, I am a little bit surprised when you think Miami, Ohio won the league last year. They bring back 10 starters on offense, including their quarterback, seven on defense, pretty pretty decent. They rank 26th in overall returning production, uh, according to Bill Connolly's numbers. They are the biggest gainer in terms of roster strength, you know, based on our, our uh, short conversation we had earlier. Uh, they're, they're the biggest gainer in the MAC. They recruited really well uh, for, for MAC standards, brought in the 89th best class, yet they're third in their division in triple digits in our overall numbers. So that's, you know, that that sticks out a little bit because our numbers didn't love Miami of Ohio last year, thought that they overachieved, thought that there were uh, multiple MAC teams that were stronger uh, at the end of the year, despite them actually coming out ahead in the, in the conference championship game. They were seventh in our uh, end of season uh power ranking so it speaks to uh, some of you know what what xavier was saying earlier about how uh it is there's a lot of parity in the mac and, and it seems like anybody can jump up and and uh win this thing and and uh miami sort of on the opposite end uh, maybe they got lucky last year and even though they're bringing back so much you know, perhaps last year they were a little bit inflated. So if you're looking, you know, for a team on a, on a 
uh, win total or or uh, if they're maybe priced a little too high on the conference championship uh, as far as a you know preseason bet or whatever, uh, you could think, okay, maybe maybe Miami of Ohio is a team that we could fade a little bit uh, in, in 2020. So uh, that that's the first thing that that jumps out. Second, Western Michigan are you know overall as far as team strength, our, our highest ranked team in the West lost 5.7 uh, points in roster strength, which is on LSU's level uh, as far as a raw number. But if you think about, you know, that number in relation to the actual strength of the roster, LSU is closer to, you know, in the nineties and Western Michigan is in the, the high seventies. So as far as a percentage of their overall roster strength, that's, that's huge. Might be the biggest in the, in the nation. I mean, they lost a long time starting quarterback. They lost, uh, arguably, you know, if not the best, the second best running back in the Mac last year, Levante Bellamy, uh, who was among the nation's leaders in rushing touchdowns. So Western Michigan still strong, still, you know, have a lot of talent, uh, as far as the, the league goes, but they lost a, a huge amount of production last year. Central Michigan is similar. Central Michigan lost about five points. That's huge. Uh, their projected starting quarterback coming into 2020 is going to be suspended the first, I think, five games of the year because of a, a PED violation last year. So that's a little bit of a concern. David Moore is going to be gone uh, the first part of the, the season, suspended through week five. So it's an interesting league. There's, there's a lot of parity. I wouldn't be shocked at all if, you know, anybody maybe except Akron or, or Bowling Green jumps up and, and wins the league. I mean, Kent State's ranked 120th, but they've got one of the most exciting quarterbacks in the league and, and Dustin Crum, who's, who's a really exciting player and, and uh, you know, probably a top 50 quarterback in college football, maybe even a little, a little better than that. So uh, it, it's a fun league. It's, you never know what's going to happen. The transfer numbers are, are high. I mean, just going through here, I mean, there's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams that have at least one projected starter as a transfer. Um, and, and so it, it's it's a, chi- a, a, a league where a lot can happen. It can change, uh, obviously, on an annual basis, but, but maybe even a, a, a weekly basis. So um, it, it's going to be fun. It, it'll be an interesting league, uh, conference to watch. That's why we love Maction so much. Xavier, what are your initial thoughts of the 2020 outlook for the Mac? First off, it was very, very hard for me to choose a team that would fall this year. Uh, so I feel like with the parity, it's very hard to decide who's just going to be ultimately worse. Um, you know, the numbers got it right in a lot of situations last year. And, you know, with Toledo and the injuries, got it wrong. So I, it was very hard for me to choose a team that would fall right away. But as Nick was kind of going down the teams, it came to mind that Bowling Green, even though they went three and nine last year, might be even worse. Uh, and so that's the team I think that's going to most likely fall. Um, will they be the team to go winless? I don't know about that, but you know, I don't think I don't see them winning. You know, three games next year. They don't return many starters on offense or defense. They didn't bring in an amazing recruiting class. They lost a lot of their roster strength. Nothing points to them you know, being better than they were last year. So I'm going to think they're going to go worse. Um, as a team that I think might improve, it's got to be Ohio. Yes, they lose their starting quarterback. But as you talked about, they get his brother, which he's been in the system for long enough to uh, understand what's going on there. And I think that he's already bought in and they're probably bought in with him as well as a starting quarterback position. 
I think that bodes well for them. Uh, so they don't lose as much ground with the starting uh, with losing their starting quarterback at Ohio. I think uh, when you look at that team, obviously the returning nine starters on defense, seven on offense, and if uh, the younger O'Rourke can come in and play just as well as his brother then did, then they obviously have an opportunity to take that next step, um, in my opinion. And they were one win away uh, from winning their division last year over Miami of Ohio. So you can honestly think that why can't they do it? Um, and like I said earlier, can Miami of Ohio be the first team to repeat? Um, you know, they they return 10 stars on offense. That's ridiculous, um, including the quarterback. They, ret- they return seven starters on defense, and they're one of only two teams that has a positive roster strength going into next year, the other team being Ball State. And so why can't they be the first team to, to repeat? Yes, the parity is big in this conference, but, you know, the, the one thing that really helps out Miami of Ohio is having that experience when you know you're going into every game, you, you know you can't sleep because you may lose this game because of how much parity is in this conference. So I think Miami of Ohio has a really good chance of repeating. Uh, like I said earlier, it'd be the first one since 2013, 2014 in Northern Illinois. So that that's my overall view uh, of the map. All right. Well, I think that's going to put a bow on this show. Unless uh, do you have any more uh, Mac information you want to share with us, Nick? Uh, last thing. Uh, I, I expected, and, and I think everybody, uh, expected Northern Illinois quarterback Ross Bowers to be out of eligibility, but somehow he's back on their 2020 roster. And as a result is the highest rated quarterback in the Mac. So pretty interesting that our lowest ranked team in the West, 113th overall, uh, has the best quarterback and then, you know, is only 20 spots behind the the leader. So that's that's something to watch. Can Northern Illinois take a, a step forward with arguably the, the best quarterback in the MAC? Uh, you know, at least one of the top three and 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 Thomas Hammock's second year there. So uh, last thought, don't don't forget about Ross Bowers. Don't forget about Ross Bowers. And what's coming up next <laughs> week, uh, Nick? What are we doing next week? Next week we got the Sun Belt. And uh, we'll take a, a little bit of a look, probably not quite as uh, in-depth, and I, I won't drown on uh, quite as much on uh, the uh, P5 defense returning production coming back. Love it, love it. All right, so look forward to that next week. P5 uh, returning numbers on the defense and uh, the Sun Belt. So uh, stick with us. We got you covered the entire offseason right here on CFB Winning Edge. So we will see you guys next week. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter, at Bogman Sports, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, and at CFB Winning Edge for Nick. We will see you next week. Take it easy, everybody. CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon-supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.